Welcome to Walk It Out with Trisha Goyer, where I share inspiring stories of ordinary people who walk out God's Word and discover radical results along the way. Welcome to Walk It Out with Trisha Goyer, and this is episode 21 with guest Kristen Welch. We'll be talking about raising kids to change the world. Now, to tell you the truth, I didn't think much about raising world changers when I first became pregnant. I was a very young mom, and I had my three kids by the time I was 22 years old. But I remember when I was pregnant praying that my kids would be smart and beautiful and talented. It's kind of funny to admit that now. But I thought if they were all those things, then they'd have a good life. I wanted them to have an easy go of it, to have it better than what I thought I had. I was already thinking about what I wanted my kids to have, and not once did I think about what I wanted my kids to give away. I didn't know how important it would be to wreck my kids, to take them, along with myself, out of the comfort zone of the American dream and walk them right into the path of hurting needy people. Yet, as I stepped out, I was changed and my kids were due. The American dream didn't matter when we started listening to God's heartbeat and extending the hand of Jesus to those who needed it most. Now, my book, Walk It Out, talks about radical results that come from stepping out to follow God's call. And this is the same message that Kristen Welch shares in this podcast. As we were wrecked ourselves, Kristen and I both felt called to do something that we were completely incapable of doing, and that is serving people who had more needs than we believed we can meet. For both of us, it was a journey to Africa that pricked our hearts to do more for the hurting, and that's a connection we both just realized as we were talking on this podcast. I know you'll be amazed and inspired by Kristen's story. I'm so in awe of what she's doing to care for those in Nairobi, Kenya, while also guiding her children to be world changers right here in the States too. I believe Kristen will be the first to acknowledge that any success she's had in these areas proves more about what God can accomplish through ordinary people like her than how prepared we need to be for the great mission he's called us to, which is just to love him, to love others, and to make disciples. These days, Kristen's heart is for parents. She wants them to discover for themselves and instill in their kids the profound joy that comes from sharing what we've been given, our time, our talents, and even what's in our wallets with those who have less than us. I have to say that I am so inspired by Kristen's story and Kristen's faithfulness to follow God, even in hard places. Please enjoy this interview with Kristen Welch. Well, hello and welcome to Walk It Out. I am very excited about today's guest. It's someone that I've just admired and just um, prayed for and just appreciated from afar. And I'm so glad to talk to Kristen Welch today. So Kristen, welcome to Walk It Out. Thank you, Trisha. I'm very happy to be here. Well, I'm so glad that you're here and that we get to connect. And I started uh, reading your book, which I'll talk more about in a little bit. But first, will you just start by introducing yourself to my audience? Sure. So I have been married for 23 years and I have three kids. Um, my oldest is 
18 and she just graduated from high school last week. So we're in a totally new um, area of parenting. And um, my uh, our son in the middle is 16 and then our youngest is 11. So we're definitely in the trenches of parenthood. And um, we also um, run Mercy House Global. We started it in 2010 and it's a nonprofit that empowers women around the globe in Jesus's name with dignified work through fair trade product creation. And we also um, do maternal health care in Nairobi, Kenya. So that's kind of a nutshell. I love all that you're doing. I love all that you're writing. And, you know, we just had a daughter graduate just a couple of weeks ago, too. So I'm totally there. And it's just so weird to think that they're launching, <laughs> that they're going out into the world. And definitely. Yeah. And we just adopted ours two and a half years ago. So I feel like, no, I'm not ready for this yet. <laughs> she just got here. Um, but yeah, but she's going to college um, 45 minutes away. So is yours going to be close or far or? She's about two and a half hours, the college that she's going to. Well, that's still not too bad. <laughs> yeah, not too bad. And I've actually been to Nairobi before. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I went with uh, Juana as one of their bloggers, oh, probably four years ago. And went to the um, Kabira slums. Is that the name? Mm-hmm. Of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just, oh, I, I tell my kids, I mean, <laughs> there's no words to describe it. Um, just, just all the little kids there. And I, I think it totally impacted me and, um, just to see the Christians that I had met there, what they're doing, um, and just loving on everyone there is just so impactful. So I'm just curious how Mercy House started, um, how you got involved with that. Well, it actually started, um, I've been blogging for about 10 years and I was invited to Nairobi, Kenya by Compassion International to write about poverty in the slums. And that trip just totally changed my life and turned everything upside down for me. Um, It really woke me up from, I think, a spiritual slumber and um, exposed me to the world's normal. At that time, you know, I was just this middle-class Texas mom who really thought, I think the world lived like I did and maybe everyone Um, had a comparable normal. And I woke up in a slum in Kenya, literally woke up physically and spiritually in this, in the the world's largest slum. And I discovered that um, my life was not like everyone else's and that um, I wasn't sharing what I'd been given. I was keeping it for myself. And um, really, the initial wrecking process was mostly discussed for myself. I think I just um, was really angry at God for allowing so much human suffering. And when I posed that question to him, how he could allow his people to suffer, he asked me the same question. How can you allow it? What are you going to do about it? And um, there was really just this awakening and this long the start of a long journey in responding to what I had seen in Kenya on that trip. And I can't return home um, to my normal, but I was a totally different person. And so I was trying to reconcile what that new normal would look like. And that's about the time my family decided to start Mercy House. I love that so much. And I can totally relate to just that wrecking. I mean, when you're walking there and seeing a infant, like not even walking a foot away from sewage, you know, and I just remember coming home. And um, at the time we had three, three biological that were grown. Um, Well, one was in high school, but almost grown. And then we had adopted a newborn and we adopted two from foster care. And I thought, okay, 
we are doing what God called us to, you know, we're, I mean, I, we're reaching out and, and the two from foster care were really hard to place kids. They'd been moved around that had failed adoption. So, I mean, it wasn't like I was not neglecting, but when we came back, I remember the first Sunday at church, like walking in and like, what are we doing? Like it is so, and I'm in inner city, little rocks, but even like that compared to where I was, I'm like, this is like the most amazing place ever. And you know, our church is clean and everyone is dressed nice. And just, I remember just bawling the whole service. Like, what are we doing? And it was right after that, John and I felt like we should open our home to more kids. And we adopted a sibling group of four from foster care. But it was really hard. I mean, super, super hard. But like you, I think when you get out and you see like what the world has and what they're going through and um, we came home and, you know, our house is 3,600 square feet and I had an office because I'm a writer and I had a library next to it. And I'm like, we could put kids in this room. <laughs> like, you know, We could do more here. Um, and so I think, I think for both of us, I mean, God just like, and it does, you talk about wrecking. It, it is this wrecking, like we can do more. And I love um, what you talk about in the book. Oh, I got to find it. So I was going to tell you, I got, I started reading the book, um, your book, Raising World Changers in a Changing World, yesterday at karate. So I'm sitting here, all these kids are karate. First of all, I'm underlining like every paragraph. Um, and then I read the first two chapters. I'm ugly crying almost <laughs> the the first two chapters. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I, I, I got to finish this when I'm not in public <laughs> sitting there at my kids karate <laughs> class. So um, I love it. But the question's that you talk about. I'm looking, I'm flipping through the book. Um, why do you think God has allowed you to be born in North America to be blessed with such material and spiritual abundance? And I've totally felt that question. So um, is that what you sensed when you came back from Nairobi the first time? It was, I mean, I, it just blew apart everything I knew about God and everything I knew about myself. And um, I think I just had this very, surreal, um, eye-opening revelation when I was in the slum in Kenya. And it happened in this, I, we, I went to this, um, kid's home and in the middle of, you know, the slum and, um, compassion that the group I was with, they wanted to show us what sponsorship provided. And, um, he wasn't, it was called an orphan led home, which means he was the parent of his siblings because his mom and dad had died, but he was like 14. So he was old enough to kind of be in charge, but he was just a kid, you know? And at the time, you know, I had, my oldest was 14 and, um, it was just so crazy to meet this kid who lived in this very small, probably the size of my master bathroom home with a cardboard walls and tin roof. And I mean, you know, water's leaking on our head and he didn't have a bed and he had a blanket that he rolled out on the floor to show us, you know, he wanted to show us how he lived and how he used his one candle to study and how he got up at 3am to go buy vegetables, to sell them before school to provide for his brothers. I mean, it was just tragic. And I, I was overwhelmed with pity for this kid. I just kept thinking about where I'd come from and how, what my kids had. And after he gave us his little, um, life story, um, he asked if anyone had any questions and, you know, I'm the ignorant white woman in the room who raised my hand. And I said, I have a question and his name was Vincent, Vincent. And he said, ma'am, what's your question? And I said, how can you be so happy? 
I mean, the, the joy that radiated from this kid was blinding. And he looked at me almost, you know, like he had compassion for me. And he was like, ma'am, I have Jesus and he's enough. And everything in that moment just stopped for me because I had Jesus too. I'd had him my whole life, but he hadn't been enough for me. I had added um, him to my life like, like salt and pepper to a meal. And I vowed in that moment in his home to go back to my life and make it about Jesus and make Jesus enough for me. And I think what I, I realized in this journey is that, you know, when we live in North America, we are blessed. We are the richest people in the world. And, you know, people listening might be thinking, Hey, wait, you know, I, I'm having a hard time paying my mortgage this month or, but we have so much opportunity and we have the world's wealth. Um, and you know, we're, 75% of the world lives on less than $2 a day. And, and so we have all of this opportunity here. And what I realized is that my entire life, I was 37 years old when I walked into, you know, stepped into the slums in Kenya, I had taken every blessing in my life, every good thing God had given me. And I'd only made my lifestyle better. I was just constantly changing my lifestyle. I was getting a better car, bigger house, um, better things. And it dawned on me that I was seeing all of these blessings as something that I could just keep changing my lifestyle. And the more I got, the emptier I was and the more unsatisfied I felt. And I think that, you know, when God blesses us, if we assume it's for us to keep for ourselves, we're never going to be truly satisfied. But often he blesses us because he wants us to share what we have with other people. He wants us to give it away. And um, I realized I had failed that test so many times. And I remember standing in the middle of my house, just thinking, I don't want to change my lifestyle anymore. I want to change lives. And, and, and that's what we do. That's what we want to do. We want to change lives. And we all have to answer that question for ourselves. Am I just going to keep changing my lifestyle every time I get a raise or a better job? or unexpected money in the mail or whatever it is. Am I going to keep changing my lifestyle or is God wanting me to change a life with these blessings? And once we started living in that, within that, within that framework and positioned ourselves, it changed everything. I mean, it changed the way we parent, the way we do our jobs, the way that we live, the way that we give, the way that we spend, it changed everything. And the joy and purpose that was replaced with that unsatisfaction is, it's been stunning and totally profound, just the the joy that we've had in in giving our lives away. Yeah. You know, I wanted to bring up that parenting part of it because I remember when I first felt called, um, even before we adopted to start mentoring teen moms and we helped start a crisis pregnancy center. Um, I thought I'm the worst mom ever because here I am dragging my kids to these meetings and they're helping me babysit for these teen moms. And, um, you know, I'm sorting diapers and they're helping me instead of like being at the park or baking cookies. And I, I for so long, I thought, oh, God has called me to this, but my poor kids and what am I doing? And just this guilt, which I know now is from the enemy. But as I look at those kids now who are adults who love God, um, our oldest son's a children's pastor, our daughter's a missionary. And our our 23-year-old wrote his first Christian book. And I mean, all of them love God. And I'm like, God knew 
when he called me and my husband that he was also calling my kids and the best way that they can discover how to change the world was to see their parents doing it. So I would just love to see, to hear how your kids have been impacted by this. Well, it has turned our family upside down. And I think with any, you know, trying to turn any ship, um, there's friction and tension and, and struggle and pain. So I definitely don't want to paint a picture that it has been easy because it has not been easy. Um, but I do believe that we are our kids' greatest example. And when I returned from that trip to Kenya, the first thing that I realized was how entitled I was and how entitled I had made my children. And um, so we really began calling out entitlement in our home and battling that with gratitude. You know, how do we be grateful for what we have? And um, how do we um, expect less for ourselves and, and share more with others. And, and that was, it was very painful, honestly, trying to, um, maybe reverse some of the damage we had done. I mean, when you are give, give, give to your kids and make your family all about you, and then you try to change that there's, there's going to be, um, some friction there. And so, um, there have been, there have been days and struggles where my, kids have said, you know, we did not ask for a mercy house childhood and that's what you've given us. And of course that's very painful to hear. And then, you know, a couple of months later, those same kids are thanking us for this mercy house childhood where they're, they've been taught to focus on others. And, and so it definitely hasn't been easy, but it has been amazing to watch our obedience to God, my husband and I choosing this filter down and my kids think raising they think changing the world is normal. I mean, they think that serving is normal. They think that giving what you have is normal. I mean, last night my son went to a presentation on a Bible translation. He's very, he's 16. He's very interested in um, theology and Bible translation, which is fun. You know, it's kind of unexpected. And he was like, mom, I really feel like I should give my, my birthday money for Bible translation. And I mean, I'm like, Oh, that's so sweet. But honey, you don't have to give it all, you know, but it's just so normal for us to say, okay, God gave me this. Am I supposed to keep it for myself or am I supposed to share it? And so, um, really your kids are following in your footsteps. And, um, when my daughter moves out of her bedroom on August 10th, um, 12 days later, a girl from the Ukraine is moving into her bedroom, um, to be an exchange student. Um, her parents are actually pastors in Ukraine, and uh, they w- are one of the artisan groups that we started. And so they make $400 a month, and they bring in street kids who are aging out of a Ukrainian orphanage, and their daughter got a student visa to study here. And when I asked my kids, what do you think about you know, sharing our home with her? They were like, well, we're going to have an extra bedroom. We're supposed to share <laughs> what we have. And so, I mean, last Wednesday night, my son said, okay, mom, we're picking up four boys for church tonight. And I said, four, I said, last Wednesday, it was three. I said, how many kids are you going to bring to church? And he said, how many seats do we have in our van? And Mm -hmm. I think that is, I mean, you know, it's not profound or significant. I mean, there's no, there's not going to be a TV crew or a magazine article written about any of that, but it's these daily small choices of sharing what you have, the extra seat at your table, the extra chair in your van, the extra room in your home. I mean, just exactly what your family has done, looking at what you've been given and giving it away. And, you know, in our economy, in our culture, American culture, when we look at numbers on paper, it looks like, well, if you 
share what you have, you're going to have less. I mean, right? That's just mathematical sense. But when you give it to Jesus, he does this crazy Jesus math and you don't have less. You have more. And I think that has been what what has really captured my kids and and my family. And it's like this contagious, you can't outgive God. I mean, all these biblical principles about how God opens the windows of heaven and just pours it out into one hand and you've got the other hand open and you're, you're sharing it with others and he just keeps filling your hand. And so you don't have less, you have more. And that's really been the lesson that we've learned is when you apply, you know, this upside down gospel kingdom to what you have and you share it, um, you don't have less. And I think that in raising kids, you know, every kid is different and every one of our children have gifts and I love the story in the Bible about the little boy with his, you know, lunch, his loaves and, and fishes. I think it's such a powerful um, picture of what God wants from us. You know, this kid didn't have much, but what he had was needed. And I mean, you know, he probably was old enough to know that it wasn't enough to feed everyone, but he offered it anyway. And I think that when we can teach our kids to offer what they've been given, whether it's my 11-year-old loves to cook. She loves to bake. Well, we could all just, you know, gain 10 pounds and eat everything that she makes, or we can find people to share that with. Like, who needs cookies today? Who would be encouraged with a cake? I mean, when we teach our kids to share the gifts that they've been given by God, we're teaching them to change the world. And it changes us in the process. And I love how it was a small boy that actually shared because I think so many times we would rationalize it not working. <laughs> like, oh, I can't share because I need to feed myself. Yeah. And I mean, when you think about that story, it was definitely not enough. And But it's such a picture of when we give it to God, He steps in and does the miraculous and makes it more than enough. And that's what God wants. He wants us to offer what's in our hands so that He can do the holy act of making it more. Absolutely. Now I want to share my exchange student story because we had an exchange student and it completely changed our life. Um, and I know I'm interviewing you, but I think you'll be blessed by this. So um, we had been planning for a mission trip to the Czech Republic. I had been there before researching for one of my novels and was just, I ended up seeing um, sex trafficking kind of on the, as we were leaving the country and just my heart was just broken. I just remember praying for the country so we decided to take our teens on a mission trip because I just felt this like we need to get them out and get them to see the world and get them to experience that not everyone is living like we're living. And even though they have a lot of things in the Czech Republic, less than 1% is Christian. So they don't have Jesus. So um, such a huge thing. And so um, as we were planning for the trip, raising all this money to go, I got a call from a lady who was looking for homes for exchange students. And um, she says, you know, we have uh, these students and I'm thinking, no, I don't have time. I'm homeschooling. I'm writing books. We're going on this trip. And she goes, actually, we have students from the Czech Republic and you know, you're raising money to go there. What if God's sending someone to you? And it was like, uh, hello, you know, <laughs> like for free, God is sending someone to your house when you're raising all this money. So we ended up welcoming, welcoming Andrea and she was 15 at the time. And our daughter who's 25 now is 16 and they shared a room and every night our, our bedroom was right above them. Every night we would hear them talking and talking and talking. And uh, Leslie has always just had a heart of evangelism. And I'm like, what are you guys talking about? And she'd say, well, Andrea is teaching me Czech. 
And then she's also has all these questions about God in the Bible. So I'm just answering her questions. So this went on for nine months. Um, and, you know, still she's such a part of our lives. Well, then after we go on three mission trips, our daughter felt called to the Czech Republic. And she ended up moving there just for a summer and then later for a year. And now she's been there for four years. But she already knew Czech. Like she had already had this foundation of the language that she had gotten from that exchange student talking late into the night. Um, it's a very complicated language, but it's just, you know, something you do. That is amazing. And now she's a missionary there. She's married. Um, and it's like that foundation of us just saying, yes, we have an ex- extra bed in Leslie's room. Um, and this girl was there for nine months and it completely changed my daughter's life. And now she's just serving over there. That is so powerful. Yeah. I think it's such a good reminder that God is writing our kids stories while he's writing our story and he redeems everything and uses everything for his glory. And, you know, I think that's just, that's amazing. My oldest, um, who's about to leave for college, she has always She's just, you know, an introvert and very strong and kind of an intimidating force, smart girl. And so, you know, she doesn't tolerate giggly, um, boy, crazy (laughs) girlfriends. And so she doesn't have that many close friends. And probably since the seventh grade, her prayer request has been for a best friend. And so the start of her senior year, she, um, there was an exchange student actually from Spain who started coming to our youth group, another family in our church had brought her in um, as a as a student. And um, and long story short, not only did she become my daughter's best friend, but she was able to lead her to the Lord and our family got to witness her baptism and um, her going away party is this uh, weekend and she's about to return to Spain, but she's returning to her country knowing Jesus and having a relationship with Jesus. And it has changed my daughter in such a profound way watching her disciple her friend and um, I mean, so God answered two prayers there. I mean, my prayer that he would turn my daughter into this um, follower of him that led other people, but he also gave my daughter a best friend. And I think that's just the way that Jesus works. He takes um, our situation and circumstances and he's like, you know, lay down what you have and watch what I'll do. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless others and I'm going to change the world. Um, and use you to do it. So that's, that's so neat. Yeah. And I would love for you to share also the story that you share in the first chapter about Veronica. Yes. Um, so when we were in Kenya, probably, it was probably about four years ago. Um, we had, uh, one of our girls graduate from the maternity home. So we have three maternity centers in Nairobi, Kenya, where we have young moms. We bring them in pregnant between the ages of 12 and 16, and provide maternal health care for them, help them have their babies. And then it's a two-year residential program. So we rescue girls. We empower their families with dignified jobs to break that very uh, oppressive cycle of generational poverty. And then um, we do that so we can redeem the futures of these babies that are born. So we've had 47 girls come into our homes in Kenya. And one of those girls, um, her name is Veronica, and she was very unique in... um, the situation that brought her into the home. Most of the girls um, are, you know, they have someone in their life who loves them, although some are orphaned, but we, we take in the worst situations in the country. So um, IJM International Justice Mission is actually pursuing um, justice on behalf of a lot, a lot of the girls. Um, 
you know, there aren't, there's not welfare or opportunities in most of these third world countries like there is here. And so um, it's very easy to become very desperate very quickly. And so the girls, a lot of them are survival prostitutes, which is a vocabulary word I wish I didn't know. I learned it, you know, when I first went to Kenya 10 years ago. But a survival prostitute is a girl who um, prostitutes for food just to survive, not money. And so um, anyway, so these girls are, you know, it's just the most traumatic, traumatized um, situations you can imagine. And um, so Veronica actually came to us from the hospital. Um, Our director in Kenya was reading the newspaper one night and saw that um, there was an article about a young girl who had been um, tied up and doused with gasoline and burned over 40% of her body because her aunt, she was an indentured servant who lived at an aunt's house. Basically what that means is she didn't have anyone in the world who loved her and had anyone that she called family. She did have an aunt who felt obligated to take her in, but instead of providing a loving home, she actually used her as a servant. So that was Veronica's story. Um, the aunt accused her of stealing $5 and punished her by burning her. And so when our director read this story in the newspaper, when she was in a coma from being burned, they discovered she was also three months pregnant. The article talked about a doctor who had provided some free um, skin grafts and care for her. But basically, the article ended with, does anyone want Veronica? You know, she's pregnant and none of the children's homes would take her. And so our director went and got her from the hospital. The girls, the other residents carried her from room to room for about six months until she had her baby. She had this miracle baby. And um, long story short, we were in Kenya four years ago and we were celebrating Veronica's graduation from our maternity home and, and other girls. And they were sitting out in, we have this beautiful property there and they were sitting out in the grass. We had just had lunch on the grounds and, um, and my daughter and Veronica were sitting next to each other. They were holding hands and it was just this really beautiful day. One of those days where it felt like what we do is worth it. You know, sometimes it doesn't, it feels so hard and we wonder if we're really making a difference. But this was one of those days that we were like, this is good. You know, this is good work that Jesus is allowing us to do. And I heard Veronica ask my daughter this question and it stopped me in my tracks. She said, um, Madison, why do you think you were born in America and I was born here in Kenya? And when she asked that question, my heart started pounding because that is probably one of the most difficult questions anyone could ever be asked. Because essentially what she was asking is, why was I born to this world of suffering? And as she was sitting there, you know, her scars are just so dramatic and she still suffers, you know, with a lot of scar tissue and pain. And she's had so many surgeries to be able to walk. And and she's asking my you know, blonde-headed, middle-class girl who's had every advantage um, from education to a loving home to, you know, things that she wants and needs provided. She's asking her that question. And I just, my eyes filled with tears and I just started praying for my daughter and how she answered it. You know, she's only 14 at the time and she had Veronica's hand and she, you know, I saw her kind of stroke it and she said, you know what? Veronica, 
I don't know why you were born here and I was born there because we didn't get to choose either one of us. But I think I was born in America and you were born here because I'm supposed to help you. And I think that's it. I think that's the answer. If we could just wrap our minds around the powerful truth from a little 14-year-old girl's heart, we were born where we were born so that we can share what we have with those who have less. When we do that, we don't have less. We have more. The joy and passion and fulfillment. Last month, I was in Kenya again with my um, now 18-year-old daughter, and we were there to do an art camp. And we brought back all the girls we had rescued who are now in vocational school. Some of them are married, um, all of their children. So it was this huge, huge happy reunion. And we did an art camp for a week. And my 18-year-old is an artist, and she's going to school to study visual design and art. And watching her teach those girls how to hold a paintbrush and how to um, draw and watching the healing and the beautiful creations that came from just being carefree. It was just amazing watching my child step into that place of um, leading and using what she'd been given to change the world. And as a parent, I can't think of a better gift that we can, we can give our kids and we can um, enjoy watching our kids do what they were created to do. And I think that begins with us teaching our children that God gifted them in a unique way. And when they share what they've been given and they give it to God, they are going to change the world and they're going to be changed in the process. Absolutely. You know, you talk about in the book how we, there's always a changing world around us. And um, there's always things that are happening, whether it's uh, school shootings, there's conflict in the world, there's wars, and it can be overwhelming to see this changing world. But um, how does it impact kids when we actually show them that they can make a difference to be a world changer? Well, I think that these are perilous times to be a parent. And we, I mean, nowhere is safe anymore. And I think that um, we have to teach our kids to trust God and to find their sweet spot. And that I like to define a sweet spot as the place where our passion and our skills collide. What, like for my, my daughter, as an example, her skill is um, art. She loves being an artist. Her passion is these girls in, in Africa that she's been visiting, you know, for the last 10 years. And when that collided, her skill and her passion uh, with, you know, an opportunity that God gave her, she shined. And I, I think that that's how we are used by God. We offer him what we have, what we've been given. And as parents, you know, and, and trying to navigate um, the pressure our kids are under. I mean, it is, it's nothing like when we were kids. I mean, we have um, the cultural um, entitlement. We have uh, this changing world where every time you turn on the news, it feels like the sky is falling and it's scary. Um, we have the, the academic pressure to be something and to, um, you know, do it with excellence. And I mean, you know, the school system is, is, you know, kids are stressed, I think. And, and so, 
you have all these different elements. And I think instead of playing into that and contributing to it, and um, we can take a step back and teach our kids about what really matters. And if we really want to raise kids who change the world, and we want to change the world ourselves, it's, it's way simpler than we might think. We change the world when we meet the needs of another person. That's it. When we put someone else in front of ourselves. And so it doesn't have to be this huge, you know, in our culture, everything that's bigger is better. You know, it, we think it has to be this huge life altering, you know, start a nonprofit or whatever to be significant. And that is not how, you know, Jesus describes it. He says, it's the daily, simple laying down your life for your brother, loving others more than you love yourself. And that's, that is the definition of changing the world. And so that's what I want my kids to know. That's what I don't, I'm not raising them to say, you have to start a nonprofit or you have to travel overseas or you have to do something big or significant. I mean, the other day, my son, we've been talking a lot about college and, you know, what my kids want to do and be when they grow up. Cause we're just in that season. And he said, um, you know, well, I love learning and I love the gospel and, and he's very, he's a people person. He has compassion for people. He said, and, and I love the idea of being a teacher. He goes, but is that really enough? You know, is that big enough? And I just kind of broke my heart and I stopped him and I'm like, listen, size does not matter. Whatever you do, if you do it unto God and you give it to God and you lay it at his feet and say, God, this is what you've given me. And I'm going to share this gift with the world. That is what changes it. It's not this, you know, we have this mentality that has to be significant to be significant. And uh, I think this whole generation of kids who are looking for purpose and they're looking for joy, it's very easy for them to get sucked into that deception it's not a matter of the size or, you know, we're changing one person's life this year. He got to lead his best friend to the Lord, a boy that he has prayed for since the sixth grade. And now he's a junior in high school. And every week he's just wanted to get this kid to church. He finally started coming to church with him. Then he accepted Christ into his life. And like that, I mean, you have changed his life. God has used you to change his world. It's extremely significant. You know, it's that power of one person. And I think that's, that's what we want for our kids. That's what, um, watching him lead his friend of the Lord changed me as a mother. And it, um, reminded me that there are lost people in my life that I need to have as much tenacity and be prayerful about as my son has with this one friend. And so I think, um, you know, our kids can teach us if we let them, but just reminding them that, when we approach Jesus like that little boy with our lunch and we say, you know, God, this is all I have, but I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to let you do wonders with it. And he will. Yeah. And the, the thing I love about stepping out and being in the trenches is that you need God so much. Yeah. Oh man. Yes. And I love you talk about in here um, that the average child only gets about 40 hours per year of spiritual teaching because we are often leaving that up to the church or the youth group. But when we take these steps of faith and walk out when what God is doing and get into the cr- trenches, we need God, don't we? I mean, have you found that to be true in your own life? Oh, every day. Um, I mean, when you say yes to Jesus, you don't know where he's going to take you. When I returned from that trip to Kenya almost a decade ago, I just wanted to help girls in Africa. I mean, that was it. I didn't have any other I mean, I'm a writer by profession. I have a degree in English. I have no business running a nonprofit starting, you know, I just wanted 
to help girls in Kenya. And you don't know what you don't know. And you don't know where your guess is going to take you. And I have thrown my hands up in the air and cried myself to sleep more than I want to admit. And I've asked my husband over and over, why did God ask us to do this? I'm not the right person for this job. And he reminds me that's why. Because he doesn't want your ability. He doesn't want your education. He wants you. He wants... And and I've been changed in the process. I mean, by nature, I'm um, type A. I like control. Um, I'm a fix-it person. Well, when you're working in a third world country and you're stepping out into this, you know, crazy yes, I mean, it's totally out of your control. And so God has matured me and changed me in the process. And and I think when we say yes to God, to something so much bigger than, than ourselves, um, we are desperate for him to show up. And, and when he does amazing things, it's very obvious that it's not the inadequate person behind the scenes, that it's Jesus, because he takes our weakness and he is strong in our inadequate places and he does the miracle. And so um, like the people in my life and the people around me, the, no one is impressed with me or my family. They know we're very human. We're normal, just the average family next door. And God receives the glory for what has been done through our family because there's nothing unique or special about us. And I think that we, I hope we're modeling that for our kids too, that, you know, you don't have to have your act together or be a perfect family to say yes to God or to share what you have. You simply have to open your hands. And, you know, there are people all around the world, even in our own neighborhoods and our own churches and um, our, at our workplace that are asking God to meet a need right now. And we can be the answer to someone's prayer. And I think when we answer someone's prayer by showing up in their lives, it doesn't just change that person. It changes us. It increases our faith. And so it's just this beautiful symphony of listening to God and looking at what we have and saying, yeah, I can meet this need because God has blessed me and I don't want to keep changing my lifestyle. I want to change a life. And when we do that, we discover profound purpose and joy. Yeah, I was just talking with one of uh, my pastors and we were talking about just the needs of people and just asking ourselves the question, what would be love to them right now? So, you know, for the teen moms that I work with, a package of diapers is love. <laughs> like it is totally meeting a need. It costs eight ninety five <laughs> at the store, but it is an example of love to a homeless person. It's a water bottle and, you know, maybe a Subway sandwich. I mean, whatever we do is it, like, I love that. Just opening your hand and extending the hand of Christ. And that is love. And pretty soon people are like, what's different about you? Why are you doing this? Um, and then, you know, that opens the door. I don't, I think if we are just, wanting to you know, have everyone accept Christ and become Christians, but we're not willing to meet their spiritual needs, we are completely missing out. You know, They won't trust us if we're not looking and, and seeing them and seeing their needs and caring for them first. That's it. That's the key. And I think that there are opportunities all around us every day. I truly believe with all of my heart, I've really been digging into Esther lately and just this beautiful example that we have, especially as women, of someone who was um, really God in positioned to position her to change the world. And when we think about the seasons that we're in and the 
struggles that we have. I mean, I know in my life, God has impositioned me multiple times and I whined and complained and moaned about it. But then if I truly stepped back and looked at where I was for such a time as this, it was to position me to impact someone for the kingdom. And I think whatever we're going through right now today, if we could step back and say and ask God, why am I here? Why why am I going through this? I think he would answer, I've impositioned you to position you to change someone's world. And it helps us be more grateful for where we are. It helps us find some, um, you know, trust God's sovereignty and find some peace in difficult situations. But he places us in situations and in places for a reason. And instead of hating those seasons and despising those places, we can say, okay, God, who am I supposed to impact? Who can I show love to right now? Who is crying out and needs their prayer answered? Who can you use me to impact? And God will show us who that is. And and what's so beautiful about serving Jesus is it doesn't just help that person. It helps us. I mean, if I'm asked to speak at a church, you know, like a women's event, oftentimes, you know, leaders will say, well, you know, our women are hurting and they're discouraged and we just really want you to remind them, you know, such, you know, what God's done or, and I I don't know if this is a different approach, but I always feel like if you're hurting and you are discouraged, the best way out of that hole is to encourage someone who's hurting worse than you are. And that's through service. I mean, we feel better about who we are and what we have when we serve someone who has less than us. It gives us perspective. And perspective is the breeding ground for gratitude. And it makes us grateful. I mean, one time I actually sent my kids on this little mission trip in in Texas with our youth group. And it was like a, a, not Habitat for Humanity, but something like that, where they were building, rebuilding a home. And um, they kept calling me, you know, at night and they were sleeping on the floor of a church and in sleeping bags and they would call to check in. And I, nev- I will never forget my, um, my daughter calling and saying, mom, we are in working in this woman's house. And every day we go to her house and you can see the ground through the rotten wood floor and you have to step very carefully or you'll fall through the hole into the ground. And she was like, she doesn't even have a floor. And this is, you know, in our own state, when my kids got home from that trip, I'll never forget my daughter laid on our floor and hugged the ground. And she said, I have never once thanked God that I have a floor. And it was such a powerful visual truth that, you know, we don't even know what to be thankful for because we have so much. But when we can get out of our house and meet someone else's need, it not only helps that person, but it helps us because it reminds us of what we have. And I think if we can live in that place, it changes us and it changes the world. Yeah. And I think it's so meaningful when our kids do that and when they step out and they see that they make a difference. And I know the listeners out there, I mean, each one, I would just encourage them to sit down before God. And every day, there's always a prayer that God would answer. If you say, who can I bless today? Who could I reach out to? He will put a name on your heart and on your mind. Like he will always answer that prayer. It's never going to come up empty. He will always bring someone to mind. And also I wanted to mention before we wrap up, um, Fair Trade Friday, how can (laughs) listeners come around you and what you're doing? Oh, thank you for bringing that up. This is 
probably one of the favorite things in my life that I get to be a part of. Um, about four years ago through Mercy House Global, we started a fair trade subscription club called Fair Trade Friday. And it's basically just a easy way to sign up um, on the internet at fairtradefriday.club. You choose a club option. And then this really amazing, trendy uh, product is delivered to your mailbox every month. And so it's more than just cute stuff. It's uh, providing dignified jobs. We work with 67 small groups of women in 31 countries to provide jobs in Jesus's name. And so these are, when, when you rescue a woman out of trafficking, um, you're taking away her job in a sense, even though it's undignified work, it's the way that she's providing for her family. And so um, we come in and offer dignified work that allows them to become artisans. And so uh, we do that through Fair Trade Friday and we have um, close to 4,000 club members that we ship packages to out of our little barn in Magnolia, Texas. And it's just a really fun way to change the world. And it's very significant um, to be able to teach your kids how to buy things that empower people rather than, you know, most of what we consume in America, we don't know where it's made. And we don't always realize we're contributing to the massive problem of um, human trafficking and, and modern day slavery. And so fair trade, um, ensures that people are being paid fairly. And when you join Fair Trade Friday through Mercy House, um, those artisans are being offered access to the gospel. So it's a, it's a good thing. Okay, so they, I'm looking at the website right now. There's some really cute stuff. I mean, super cute. So I encourage um, listeners to go. And it's just like you said, fairtradefriday.club. I think I'm going to be signing up for this. So this is awesome. Well, thank you, Kristen, so much for being here. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing your heart, not only with my listeners today, but just with the world and letting God use you. Um, and the, again, the book, which I know I'm going to have some more ugly cries as I'm reading through in a good way, <laughs> is Raising World Changers in a Changing World, How One Family Discovered the Beauty of Sacrifice and the Joy of Giving. So I also will have all the links in the show notes, which is just walkitoutpodcast.com. And you can find the show notes and all the links um, to everything that we talk about. But thank you, Kristen, so much for being here. Thank you so much, Trisha. I really enjoyed it. And I hope some, oh, you know what? Another thing, we're both going to be speaking at the Declare Conference in October. We will get to meet in person. Yeah. So if you will Google Declare Conference, I don't know the link, Declare Conference, we'll put in the show notes. Um, But Kristen and I will both be there, which is a wonderful um, conference for bloggers, writers, speakers, just a great group of women that encourage and support each other. So I'm excited, Kristen, that I'll get to meet you in October. Yes, me too. Can't wait. And we're going to have a fair trade store at Declare. So make sure you bring your money to shop. I will. <laughs> I will. Thank you again. And just thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you. Okay, friends. Now, isn't that crazy how God spoke to both Kristen and I in the Kibera slums of Nairobi, Kenya? In the largest slum in the world, in the face of extreme poverty, it can be overwhelming. I remember just being completely overwhelmed there, just seeing all the needs of those people. One could stand there among millions of needy people and feel helpless, but instead God reminded both Kristen and I that we didn't have to worry about being everything to everyone. Instead, we simply needed to be his hands and feet to a few. For Kristen and her family, it's been the young moms whose lives have been transformed at the Mercy House. For me, four girls' lives were transformed as I traveled home and realized 
that there were orphans close to home who needed hope and mercy too. Now in the show notes, which I which can be found at walkitutpodcast.com, I've linked a few things for you. First, I've included my posts that I wrote after visiting the Kibera slums, and that will be in the show notes. Second, there are links to Kristen's website and fairtradefriday.club. You can make a difference to young moms in Kenya by supporting this cause. Also, today's Walk It Out scripture is Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, and this is the message version. Watch what God does, and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you, keep company with him, and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Today is a day to love, friends, not with cautious love, but with extravagant love, just like Christ loved us. Do you feel God calling you to step out and serve others in his name? Do it. Walk it out. Be his hands and feet to a hurting world. Also, here is a prayer for us. Now, Lord, I don't know why we're often so fearful to step out of our comfort zones, because every time we felt your call, we've sent you asking us to take steps of faith. You've always been there. You've never failed us. Lord, today we know that there is a hurting world in need of you, of your good news, and of your love. Break our hearts with what breaks yours, and give us the courage to do what you've called us to do. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thank you, friend, for tuning in to Walk It Out today. As always, you can find out more about me on my website, which is just trishafoyer.com. And know you can find me on any social media sites like Facebook or Twitter or Instagram under Trisha Boyer. Also, finally, friends, I'd really appreciate it if you tell your other friends about this podcast and encourage them to listen. As you know, this podcast is sponsored by my book, Walk It Out, The Radical Result of Living God's Word One Step at a Time. It's published by David C. Cook. David C. Cook is a non-profit publisher spreading God's word in over 100 countries. Thank you for tuning in, and I pray that you will have a blessed week. Today's podcast was edited and produced by Author Media. Opening and closing music is from the song Wide Open Space by Life Worship, used with permission from Integrity Music.